Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever experienced a miracle? A miracle is a surprising and welcome event which is not explicable by natural or scientific laws. It is God intervening in this world and doing something marvelous and unexpected. And today, this afternoon, we are reminded that in the church, God works miracles. He works the miracle of faith. Now, from Lord's Day 7 through to Lord's Day 24, the catechism has dealt with faith. In Lord's Day 7, we had the definition of faith. Then Lord's Days 8 through to 22 discussed the content of faith. Then Lord's Day 23 explained to us the benefit of faith. And Lord's Day 24, the exclusiveness of faith. And so the church has clearly confessed from the Scriptures that to be saved, to be righteous before God, all you need to do is believe. Now, if that's all we need to do, why does the catechism ask, where does this faith come from? Isn't it obvious? Doesn't it come from us? Isn't this at last the one part of the process where we get to respond a little, contribute a little to God's grace? Now, the question the Catechism asks is not strange if you know your Bible. Because the Bible teaches that we, by nature, are children of wrath, dead in sin. Dead. What does the Bible say in Colossians 2? 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, you can offer someone who is dead all the riches in the world, but your announcement would fall on deaf ears. And that's how radical our situation is by nature. We are totally incapable of of reaching forth a hand to take hold of all the blessings that God offers in Christ, because by nature, we are in a state of spiritual death. And what is more, not only are we incapable of accepting the promises of the gospel in Christ, but we are incapable of even wanting to accept the gospel. The Bible says, in fact, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, correction, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so you understand that the question of Lord's Day 25 is not so strange after all. It is vitally important, in fact. It's, if the only way to be saved is to be in Christ, and if the only way to be in Christ is to be grafted into him by faith, then tell me where I can get that faith. Because faith is a precious treasure. treasure. It is the difference between life and death, between eternal joy and everlasting punishment. So where in the world can dead sinners get this faith? And the Bible's answer is that it's a work of God. It is a gift. It's grace. 
You know what Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. And specifically, a gift from God, the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts. And let's stop there for a moment. Because this is no ordinary gift. It's a miraculous gift. What does the Bible teach about the human heart. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. Now this is talking about a heart that has not yet been changed by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the heart of the natural man, the person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we are by nature after the fall. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And to think that the Holy Spirit takes such a heart, that the Holy Spirit takes the heart of a man who is dead in sin, who by nature is God's enemy, a person whose heart is deceitful above all things, the last thing he wants is fellowship with God. The last thing he thinks he needs is salvation. And the Spirit takes such a heart and graciously works new life. He replaces a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And he makes this heart open and receptive to the words of the gospel. He takes those who are dead in sin. He makes them alive in Christ. They have new life. They're born again. Now that's just as amazing as creating something out of nothing or raising a dead person to life. That's what we confess in the canons of Dort. Just as amazing as creation or the resurrection from the dead. To make a dead sinner alive to God, to work the gift of faith and regeneration, that is a, that's an incredible work of the Spirit. And the fact that it happens at all, let alone in a great multitude of people, needs to, to drive us to be in awe of his power. As we consider God's sovereign working by his Holy Spirit in the hearts of dead sinners, we need to understand and we need to be taught the need for humility and prayer. Humility, because of what Paul says in somewhere in the New Testament, he says, what do you have that you have not received? If we believe in Christ, let's be very aware that this is by the grace of God. It is because the Spirit of Jesus Christ has worked the gift of faith in our hearts. There's no such thing as a proud Christian. There's no one in the kingdom of heaven who is so smart and so intelligent as to consider all the options and choose in his own strength to believe in Christ. No. God's kingdom is full of people who say, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will bring me home. So considering God's sovereign working by his spirit in giving dead sinners new hearts, giving them faith 
teaches us the need for humility. It also teaches us the need for prayer. Beloved, there's no recipe for bringing people to faith. There's not a 10-step marketing plan to turn people into new believers. If you're witnessing to people in your neighborhood, at school, at work, if you're involved in outreach, if we as church are involved in missions nearby or far away, we must make prayer a cornerstone of our evangelism. Do you pray for your neighbors? Do you pray for your coworkers? Are we praying for the people that are hearing the gospel through outreach or mission? We need to be praying, brothers and sisters. Praying for the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ to work in their hearts, the wonder of wonders and the miracle of miracles. Praying that God would graciously be doing what he did to Lydia when she heard the apostle preaching there. And as she heard the words of the apostle, the Lord opened her heart to receive the message of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this counts for our children too. There is no recipe for bringing up covenant children. It is not a logical and automatic progression from Christian school to catechism to profession of faith. No, the Bible teaches and we confess that also our children are conceived and born in sin and also they cannot enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's what the form for baptism says. We read it every time a child is baptized in this church. And we declare the scriptural truth that for as much as this child has been born into a Christian family, for as much as this child is privileged to receive the sign and the seal of the covenant, this child cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again, receives a new heart, a heart of faith. And so we need to keep our children in our prayers as well. We need to make prayer a cornerstone of our parenting, praying that God would use the Christian aroma of our home, that he would use our instruction and admonition, that he would bless Christian education and catechism teaching and the weekly preaching of the word in such a way that our children might respond more and more in faith, love the Lord Jesus more and more, know him more and more. And desire more and more to, to, to come to that day when they stand up before God's church, God's congregation, and say loud and clear, I believe in the Lord Jesus. It's not a given. It is not just some sociological phenomenon. It is not something that occurs naturally. It is a miracle also when the Lord works it in our children. There are many who can testify to that, that it's not automatic. You can give your child every benefit of covenantal education, Christian home, and upbringing, and yet we can grieve when we see our children going their own way. And sometimes it seems to have made no impact whatsoever. All that rich heritage of teaching about God seems to just evaporate. And when you're a parent in that situation, you can feel so helpless. But you're not helpless. Your help is still in the name of the Lord. And you can pray to God 
And it has never wasted time to get on your knees yet again and intercede for your child and pray that God would graciously grant the gift of faith and repentance. Because he is a God who works miracles, also the miracle of faith. And you have the baptism of your child as a pleading ground to come before the throne of grace. And you can remind God of what he said to your child. Lord, you've put your name on my child. They carry the mark of the covenant. And oh Lord, for the sake of your holy name, have mercy on my son, my daughter. Bring him, bring her back to the faith. Give a heart of faith. Well, we know where faith comes from, from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts. But how does he do that? How does he work a faith in our hearts? And the scriptural answer is that he works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. Now, that's a, a radical statement. The Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. Now, we're living in a time when the preaching of the gospel is under a lot of stress. I mean, to take up 30 or 40 minutes of the worship service, hearing just one person talk on and on and on, it's not necessarily really seeker-sensitive worship in a multimedia age. Wouldn't we get better results if we brought in a good band and lots of percussion and upbeat music and, and lights and some artificial smoke and video and multimedia, maybe a bit of theater and mime and skits and get people interested and excited and entertained and, and keep them coming back. No. The church that tries to entertain fails to be church. It's really painful to see a church trying to be something it's not. When the church tries to be an entertainment venue, it never quite gets there. It's always kind of pathetic, and it never quite makes it to the level of the kind of entertainment we can get out there in, the, in society and in the world. It's always just really kind of pathetic. Because entertainment is not the job of the church. The church has a job to do, and that job is to preach. Christ told the apostles of the New Testament church, go into the world and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, in his infinite wisdom, has ordained that in this way he will call people to faith. And Paul speaks about that. He says, God has chosen by the foolishness of preaching to do the glorious work of bringing sinners to himself. The foolishness of preaching. You see, the Holy Spirit uses means. He doesn't just convert people at random, that someone at one moment is dead in sin and, and hates God, but all of a sudden in the middle of whatever he's doing, boom, suddenly he's a devout believer. That's not how it works. God uses very ordinary things to work in someone's heart. He uses the influence and, and instruction of parents and teachers and friends. He uses the blessing of a godly home and upbringing. But most importantly, the main means of grace that God uses is the preaching of the gospel spoken audibly to our ears, pictured before our eyes in the sacraments, which is the, the visible preaching of the gospel. And he uses something incredibly simple. One man explaining and teaching scripture, he uses that very down-to-earth scene to work one of the greatest miracles in the universe he uses the preaching of the gospel to work faith. 
What does the, the Bible say? If you look at James chapter 1, verse 18, James 1, 18, where the scripture says this, of his own will, he brought us forth, that means he gave us birth, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are born again by the word of truth. That's how he does it. And then if you turn to, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, where the scripture says this, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. There's the same teaching as we saw back there in James, that our new birth, our new heart, our new life is wrought, it is worked by God through the word, the living word, the abiding word, the word of truth. And that should not be a surprise. It should not be a surprise to us that the Holy Spirit works in and through the word because he is the one who inspired every text in the Bible in the first place. He's the one of whom Christ said there in John chapter 14, verse 26. John 14, verse 26, where he says this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's important. A lot of Believers, a lot of Christians nowadays, they think the Holy Spirit brings new revelations, all kinds of stuff that's not in the Bible. And that leads a lot of people astray when you go to church and somebody stands up and says, the Holy Spirit told me this. And you're like, well, that's not in the Bible, but if the Holy Spirit's saying it, I guess we've got to do it. That's not how it works. Look at what it says in the scripture, John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit will come. He will be sent by the Father. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I, Christ, have said to you, the apostles. And so that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to remind us of the word of God, to remind us of the word of Christ. And that's exactly what he did. That's what he was sent to do. That's what he did. You remember what happened at Pentecost, right? There in Acts chapter 4. At Pentecost, the, the, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and then after Pentecost, there's another uh, moment when the Holy Spirit comes down upon the assembly, and, and it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, they spoke the word of God boldly. Let, let's turn there for a second, because this is really important for us to understand the work of the Spirit with, with respect to the word. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 31 So here the, the believers are, are gathered. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what's going to happen? What, what happens when, when, when the church of God is filled with the Holy Spirit? Are they going to start climbing the walls? Are they going to start hanging from the chandeliers? What does it say? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what happens where the Spirit is active. The word is preached. The word is heard. The word is in the center. The spirit is at work, not only in the speaker, he's also at work in the listener. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, you received the word, the gospel. You received the gospel preached with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. When our heart burns within us, when we hear the word of God, 
And when it touches our souls, that's the Spirit applying it to our hearts, inspiring joy. And Paul continues, as a, as a result, your faith in God has been known throughout the world. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us joy to hear God speaking to us. And every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, he takes the words of Scripture, those words of Christ, those words about Christ, and he brings that word close to our hearts through the preaching of the gospel. He makes that word penetrate into our hearts and into our lives. That's why the word is the power of God for salvation. Because the Holy Spirit of Almighty God is using it in our hearts to work faith and to strengthen faith. And that's just, we've just seen a few verses here, but we could spend a lot of time going through scriptural texts which teach the same thing. You can understand that in the light of all of the scriptural teaching, the church is sometimes called the workshop of the Holy Spirit. The church has been charged to preach the word, and the Spirit works through the preaching to work the miracle of faith and repentance. And that means if you want to see the power of the Spirit of God, then you need to be, I need to be, in a place where the church of God gathers for worship, and where the word is, and where the sacraments are. That's where we will see the power of the Spirit at work. And there are a lot of implications to this. If we neglect to make use of the, the means of grace, if we're not diligent to place ourselves under the preaching of the word, then we are not keeping in step with the Spirit. In fact, we're quenching him. And that will have serious consequences. If we're not eager and diligent to be under the preaching of the word, we shouldn't be surprised when we start getting weaker in faith. And that's why the elders in love admonish and even discipline members who despise the proclamation of God's word and the sanctity of the sacraments. One of the first things the devil does when we're having problems, spiritual problems, faith problems in our life, when we're tempted by sin, when we're starting to fall into sin and, and embracing a sin as a habitual sin, one of the first things the devil does is he says to us, you know what, don't go to church. The exact thing we most need, he tempts us to put aside so that we become weaker and weaker and weaker and more and more vulnerable to his attacks. What does the Proverbs say? Proverbs 19, 27, cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. That's why it's so vitally important, brothers and sisters, for us to be in corporate worship. That's why it's so important that we encourage our children to be in corporate worship as soon as possible. Sometimes we hear the little babies make some noise. And you know what? Sometimes it's hard for us to hear. And sometimes we may think, well, why don't they keep the babies at home? Or why don't they keep the babies in the babysit? Brothers and sisters, yes, sometimes it can be a little challenging for the rest of us. But it's so important and so beautiful to see parents bringing their little kids into the meeting of God with his people. And the age may vary from child to child and family to family, but the principle should be kept in mind that the church is where the Holy Spirit is at work. And the sooner our children sit under the preaching of the word of life and all that goes with it, the blessing of God, the sacraments portraying the gospel visibly before our eyes, the sooner our child experiences all of this, the better. You know, when the kids are really, really young, 
On the drive home or back home, mom and dad can summarize the sermon in just a few sentences, but don't underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit. He knows how to speak to the hearts of our children. And you would be surprised. He also applies the most amazing things in their little hearts, even the the very little ones. You'll be surprised what he lays on their hearts and, and how much they pick up so often. And we can help prepare their hearts to be fertile soil for the gospel by showing joy to go up to worship, by speaking of the importance of worship and and preaching with our children, and by explaining to them the miracle that the Spirit works through the preaching of the gospel. And finally, this has implications for our liturgy and, and our worship. If the only way to share in Christ and all his benefits is to have faith. And if faith comes only from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts through the gospel, then the church has to be very insistent that the preaching of the gospel is the focus of worship. If we cut back on preaching, if preaching gets hidden behind all kinds of innovations, then the church stops being a workplace of the Holy Spirit It becomes a place to socialize, to show off your talents, to entertain or be entertained. And you see that. You notice that. You may have noticed that sometimes you you, you look online or perhaps you're you're on holidays somewhere and you check out a a certain church. And and in some places you, you see that there is no longer the sense that God is speaking from on high. Thus saith the Lord. And you get the impression that the service is more just a bunch of people that love Jesus getting together to share. That's a beautiful thing, to get together and share with other people that, talk, that love Jesus. But that's not the means of grace that we need. We need to hear the authoritative preaching of the gospel. This is imperative. It's a matter of life and death. And in a time when intense pressure is being brought to bear on the Reformed worship service, let us remember this, that God has not ordained faith to come through skits and testimonies and praise choruses and children's stories and theater and PowerPoint presentations and mimes or whatever. What does the gospel say? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's what God has ordained. You know, it's so often with with just a, a heart which really wants to make things easier and more accessible for the children that we start downplaying the word and we start upplaying the dumb images. And we want the presentations on the screen, and we want the little brown paper bag and the children at the front and the minister telling them a story. Brothers and sisters, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It is through the foolishness of preaching that God has ordained to save sinners. And as long as the word of Christ is central in our lives and our worship, then we will keep on seeing the most amazing miracles We will continue to see our little children growing up in miracle of miracles, responding in faith to the gospel which has nurtured them all their lives. And we will see others 
who, miracle of miracles, are drawn to Christ and come to faith because God draws them from outside the covenant and blesses them by working faith in their hearts as they sit under the preaching of the Word. In other words, as long as the Word of Christ is central in our lives and our worship, we can expect to see the Holy Spirit working wonders among us. Not the wonders of the false miracle workers of pseudo-Christianity, but the wonders of which the Scriptures speak, the wonders of faith, hope, love, humility, communion, fellowship in the Spirit, grace, repentance, reconciliation, and sanctification. Beloved, let us stick to what Christ our Lord and Savior has instituted and commanded. Go and preach and baptize, is what he told the disciples. Do this in remembrance of me, he said. He's given us the preached word. He's given us the word made visible on the sacraments. And both the word and the sacraments, when they are administered faithfully, are sure signs that God is present and God is at work among us. When the word and the sacraments point to Christ and to him alone, then miracles will keep happening in this church. The miracle of faith and repentance worked in the heart. The miracle of faith in Christ confirmed and strengthened week after week. The miracle of those who by nature are dead in sin, being made alive in Christ, and being united with him more and more through the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Amen.